A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Foundation Podcast. We are the Lorehounds, your guides to psychohistory. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Apple TV Plus original series, Foundation. In this podcast, we're going to do a scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 2, Episode 9, Long Ago, Not Far Away. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for September. And here's another reminder that you can find all of our podcasts on YouTube and Spotify, as well as all of the other major podcast platforms. Speaking of podcasting platforms, if you're indeed enjoying what we do, we'd like to ask that maybe you could take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Apple is the big SEO engine, and we have no idea how it works. It's completely bizarro, (laughs) right, John? Mm -hmm. I mean, you were looking at the rankings the other day. It is bizarre. I can tell you that podcasts that we have that are doing far fewer downloads do better in the rankings because they get either if they're like new and get suddenly a lot of reviews which often new feeds from established podcasters do that's like what it favors so please uh rating rating and reviews really do help us boost up in those rankings that's right and uh, for early and ad-free access to all of our podcasts, visit us over at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. You can subscribe and support us for as little as $3 a month. Lastly, we love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and theories on air. So send us feedback for the next episode. Send emails to empire at the lorehounds.com, or you can head over to our website. And over there, we've got a nifty little voicemail feature and a contact form. So you can use any one of those two things. Um, Or we've got a Discord server. Hop on over there. We've got a channel just for foundation. Got a lot of fun uh, folks, very welcoming community. And a lot of times we like to pull a comment or two off of that if the uh, comments are interesting. So links for all of that stuff is in the show notes below. Speaking of programming, if you missed the David Goyer interview that we did after episode eight, please check out our feed. It's a really great conversation. If you don't know, David S. Goyer is the showrunner of Foundation. He is the man behind the madness. (laughs) The man behind the math. (laughs) The man behind the math. So he is he is the Harry Seldon of the show. I hope that people will listen to it because it provided some really cool insights and made me watch the show a little differently because mm. he gave clues to future events that make me nice. go, huh? Yeah. 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 You know, it, and it wasn't just a conversation only about foundation. We really 
broadened out our scope a bit to process and how, you know, how shows work and how a showrunner works. So I thought it was a, a lot of fun and fingers crossed that we get to uh, speak to him again, maybe sometime after the season is over. Yeah. All right, David, what did you think of this episode? Well, it was <laughs> another really intense show. I am in this weird position where I will be greatly relieved that the season is over, but I'm going to sorely miss it until season three comes back. It's so high quality and so interesting. It's um, it's an engaging show and you really, I, I, you know, I mean, obviously we're podcasting about it, so I'm doing extra notes and that kind of stuff, but it's, it's a show that you really um, need to, I don't need to is not the right way, but there's so much richness in it. It's like eating a really rich dessert it's delicious. And you're like, Ooh, I'd love to have a second piece, but if I had one, then I might be overloaded. Uh, and this episode really just took us to, uh, new levels and I have no idea what's going to happen in 10. It's uh, it's pretty wild. It's a wild ride. I-, I loved the narration, the opening narration. It felt like having your grandparent read a bedtime story to you, mm-hmm. you know, that was really cool. The dialogue in this episode was amazing. I've got so many uh, little notes about lines that were said. Day especially was just wicked. He was killing it. In this episode. Hober had a couple of good one shots as well. The line yesterday, (laughs) I fell out of my chair. That was so brilliant. Um, pretty good fight scene with Salver. I have to say that the action, I've been critical of the action is, you know, a lot of the action sequences up to this, that was good. It, it felt, um, it felt right. I, I really liked it. I've generally um, liked the action sequences, but I did like this one as well. I mean, yeah. Salver, um, she finally did what she needed to do, right? She, uh, yeah. And hopefully we saved the day. She did. And I'm, um, and I'm finally Leah Harvey's performance is finally, I think settling in. I'm feeling much better about the Salvar character overall. Uh, I do have one little nit to pick about the fighter, you know, Glaywin scene attacking the Invictus, but we'll get to it when we get to the show notes. Otherwise, it was a sumptuous feast, and I'm looking forward to 10. Uh, I've restrained myself. (laughs) I have not gone ahead and watched it. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Um, My thoughts. What about you? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I, I really liked this episode. It had my jaw on the floor for a good portion of it. Because I will never again try to guess where the show is going, except I probably will because I have a podcast and that's kind of what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, John, if we don't speculate about, you know, um, completely irrelevant characters like Markley, the guard, you know, what's good as our podcast if we can't exactly. do that kind of stuff? <laughs> exactly. So. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, the the whole way that they opened it with this sort of fairy tale kind of thing, and then they close it on absolutely tragic and horrific <laughs> events is what a way to bookend an episode. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and really I set was, up the finale. Th- yeah, this is this is an achievement, honestly, this whole episode that they are able to change the stakes this much this late in the game of the season. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. So why don't we move into your open questions? Right. We're running out. We're we're running down. Um, we still don't know who tinkered with Day's aura or who sent the blind angel assassins whose mm-hmm. brains were protected with psycho encryption. 
Right. So that's mm-hmm. been a big everything, everything's psycho, you know. I know psycho right? history, psycho <laughs> encryption. Did you know? Well, if you remember, Asimov's uh, second wife was a psychiatrist, I believe, okay. and an editor uh, herself. Mm. So a lot of psycho in his in his life. Right. Not in the bad way. <laughs> I just realized <laughs> that that's a little strange statement. But anyway, um, we still haven't figured out uh, the sentience of the prime radiant itself. We learned a lot about the superpositioning. We learned a little bit about the Wi-Fi connection that the vault has and that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, and just as a, a quick, well, we'll get to it here in the, well, I, no, I might as well just co- cover it in the callback, the callback here. The, um, when Salvor goes to the vault, it's not timey-wimey. It is mismatched timelines, not mismatched in a bad way, just that different things, different timelines are happening at different places. Mm-hmm. So what's happening on on Ignis is not one-to-one in line with what's happening on Terminus and the other story. Right. I, that was right. on the official podcast with David Goyer. And they explained that and they said, well, you know, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? And, and I'm like, no, not entirely. I was no, completely I think, thinking I think, it was timey-wimey. I think that that makes sense. I think, I think that's how I read it the first time was we've okay. been seeing this timeline on Ignis the whole time that was a little earlier than the other events. Yes. And, and I hadn't realized that. So I went to the timey-wimey explanation. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I was, think you could go It's timey-wimey if you want it to be, right? You could still call it that. Uh, you know, we like our timey-wimeys in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, we still don't, haven't learned anything new about Calais. And we certainly haven't learned anything about Harry, who is back from the dead. Mm. Um, so that's a big, you know, sort of mystery. Uh, and one of the big questions that we had that we had open for a while was, are Salvor and Harry really dead? They're not, neither of them. So we can close that question off and, and move it to the close list. I am really interested to see how he is going to write uh, his way out of the corner on that one. Cause we don't want this show to be jumping any sharks here. I know. I know. Is he a robot? Is he not? We'll never know. No, we probably Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope we find out. I hope we find out next uh, episode. I think that's it for open questions, uh, old open questions, and no other callbacks at this uh, stage. So okay. probably All talk right. about our production notes really quick. Sounds good. I think uh, people probably have this memorized by now, but you've yes. read the books a long time ago. I read the first book. We do have screeners, but we're not running ahead. And uh, sometimes your feedback might be a li- little delayed to the next episode because we'll have recorded in advance, but we'll always get to it. We're going to do a season wrap, so we-, we will still get to it even if you write it in after episode 10 airs. Um, you, David, are listening to the official podcast, as you mentioned earlier, and some others, but not until after we podcasted. would be hard for you to do that since they're not out yet. Right. But- <laughs> <laughs> but, Just, yeah. you know, the way things line up. Yeah. Right. Just making so- sure that folks you know have the sense that we're – we're speculating real, even if we're not speculating real time with you, we are speculating as we normally would and not right. preceding our, our knowledge banks ahead right. of time. Cause that's, I don't think it's fun to have that experience. I know something you don't know. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not fun. It's not no. fun. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I want to make a note too about the season wrap up. So once the episode drops, the final episode drops, definitely try and get your, feedback in within a couple of days so that we've got 
time to schedule the recording. We won't know when we're going to actually record until a little bit just before, but uh, we should mention that we have invited Marilyn R. Pakila, our favorite Tolkien scholar, and turns out to be a huge foundation book fan, um, to be honest with the season wrap. And so, you know, if you've been on our Discord, you know that she's generally there uh, dropping all kinds of interesting notes and, and thoughts. She usually sends us a lot of emails. She's been at the Oxenmoot which is the big Tolkien get together uh, every year in England. So she, I know she's been keeping up with the episodes, but I'm sure she will have plenty to say after these two final episodes are over and we get into the season wrap. So if you've got questions specifically for her, make sure you can, you know, you can note and say, Hey, this one's for Marilyn or whatever in your email, but send them into empire at the lorehounds.com. Absolutely. All right, David, Yes. Give me some breakdown. Here we go. Uh, back on Trantor 610 years ago, it's a very specific number, young Cleon I plays a game of counting faces and accidentally discovers the prison holding Demerzel. As he counts her face, she startles young Cleon when she asks him to set her free. Over the years, they develop a relationship, which Cleon keeps as a secret even as he assumes his station as Empire. Now, I've broken this scene up a little bit for the front part of it, and then the back part when he okay. frees her. And then I want to make sure we talk about a couple of different things within this. There's some visual stuff, the, there's some plot device stuff, and then there's some clues, mysterious clues in here. Uh, but anyway, what did you think of this uh, starting off? I think it was really excellent. I thought that the visual was perfect in a way that kind of was a, a metaphor for what is happening to authority in this mm -hmm. empire, yeah. which is that it is segmented and it is trapped in these sequestered pieces, right? You have the daddy Cleon, Cleon the first, mm -hmm. who held the ultimate power of everything but also felt trapped by his duties. Right. You have Demerzel, who was trapped by him. Oh, to... we'll save that for, for later. Oh, sure, but... but which, I... which which daddy Demerzel, or daddy Cleon are you talking about, actually? Uh, Cleon one. Okay, the kid, as, we, the as kid. he's growing up. Yes, yeah. yeah. So you have you have Demerzel, who is, is you know, trapped for... Uh, trapped in this situation, but still has a lot of the power... Then you have each of the three clones of each generation who get a portion of the power because they get a portion of the memory and they're allowed to sort of feel like they're powerful, but actually be second in command. I think this segmented authority, this this segmented pockets of knowledge is part of that visual language that we're seeing with Demerzel's prison. Oh, you're getting all visual on me, huh? I like I it. I am. I, I like it. You're showing up. But yeah, I mean, I thought that it was a terrifying prison that made me feel very badly for Demerzel, especially someone who has been portrayed as this mastermind, almost villain for this season. Whereas in season one, she was very sympathetic. They've really done a 180 in this episode and made her sympathetic again. Mm -hmm. They made her really sympathetic of this this person who, well, she does hold more power than the current Cleons, 
she certainly is not free. She's certainly not ruling all the way. And she would not choose to live this life if she didn't have to. She literally is forced to do what she's doing to the Cleonic generations. Mm -hmm. And that's horrible. That's absolutely horrible to her. And so, yeah, I mean, I have other thoughts on more of this fairy tale, but I'll let you give your initial thoughts on this one first. Do you see the bullet points I have in our outline? <laughs> you know, I David, I, uh, <laughs> I I don't have three hours for this podcast, so <laughs> slice them in half. Um, all right. So I'm going to do some editing here. Take a uh, segment thought... of Demerzel for your right, exactly. <laughs> comments. Boil it down. The father, it was interesting, uh, Cleon, the first father, uh, had artistic skills. So when they showed the mother, the father, and the kid. So that's interesting that that was wrapped into Dusk's duties, right? That the, uh, Dusk yep. is responsible for the, the mural. Um, well, but also the mural prison was there the whole time, right? So Yes, it was. So whoever was, I forgot the name of the emperor, but I've the got emperor it in that, the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess it'll come Aberanus. up later. Okay, so Emperor Aberanus, he definitely ha at least hired someone to be artistic and hide Demerzel and likely did it himself because he was keeping the secret that she was even there, right? Right. So it seems like this is just part of this dynasty's culture of the kids need to be taught art so that they can grow up into um, good artists as well as good rulers. Right, well-rounded uh, individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The uh, the name the Entun Dynasty is mentioned, um, and don't Google this. But on the Wikipedia, there's a whole breakdown of the different dynasties, and so this is all actually you know correct. This is the dynasty in which Cleon the first arose. But if you go looking in there and you haven't read the books, uh, and, and I'm and I mean all of the books, you will get spoiled. There are okay. little bits and pieces in here that if you read through enough, um, you'll get uh, you'll you'll just get straight up spoiled. <laughs> so, so is this so something that's only from the foundation books or is this a crossover with like the robot wars or something? This like has. That? Yeah, it has to do with the entire uh, unified universe. OK. Yeah. OK. Interesting. Um, they mentioned that Cleon's name uh, means renowned or famous. And that's true. That's from Cleos, meaning glory. It's a, a Greek word. So that was kind of interesting. Cool. Um, and the, the looking at the segmented Demerzel reminded me of two things. Um, well, the first thing is when we come into that shot in the room, she looks very much, she reminds me a lot of the Vitruvian man, you know, the Da Vinci drawing of the, the man with the arms spread out with the circles and all that kind of stuff. Um, yes, yeah. except that the horizontal rings are spread out. Or the, the rings are spread out horizontally and then she's just there in the center, but visually stunning, just a, a beautiful yeah. shot. Yeah. And, and, and again, horrifying as well. Right. <laughs> I mean, to be there for 18,000 years. Well, she wasn't there for eight. She was there for 5,000 years, I think is what the quote is. Yeah. 5,000 years. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen or know of the Body Worlds exhibition? No. There is this thing called Plastination where uh, this guy named uh, this German guy named uh, Gunther von Hagens invented this. And it's where in a human body, after they've, you know, the, the person has passed away, the waters and fats are replaced with certain plastics, which then create a one-to-one -one actual representation of the 
body, the, the muscles, the tendons, the ligaments, the organs, all the stuff. And the, because it's turned into plastic, there's no decay. It doesn't smell. And a lot of the same physical properties uh, are retained. If you've never seen one of these exhibitions, it's called Body Worlds. Go see it. It is phenomenal. And so, again, just with this segmented Demerzel and the way it was pulled apart, really, if, you know, if anybody's seen that exhibition, I think they may get similar vibes. So, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's an actual thing that they pulled in the writing room, but just, you know, one of those cool lore hound details, right? You know, these random things that we discover. Much like I asked David Goyer who invented the can opener desterilization machine, <laughs> I would have asked him who thought of the this form right. of torture because somebody needs to start an investigation on them. It's on my questions that we ever ask him is like, how did they shoot that too? Because um, seeing Laura Burns face there frozen with this, you know, invisible behind her, this line, it was just an amazing shot. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't sleep, right? So she's been conscious in this prison mm-hmm. forever, which is yeah. horrible. I hope that place is climate controlled. Get a little chilly. You can't put a blanket around your shoulders. <laughs> well, does she get chilly? That's that's another question. Yeah. How many well, senses yeah. does she have? Sensors, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting that the first story that we hear her telling Cleon is about having the mechanical people hiding, you know, the little ones hid in the little places and the big ones hid in the big places. Yeah. And it's like, oh, she's she's prepping him for some, you know, she's trying to play in a sympathies mm-hmm. and and make the robot people, the mechanical people seem sympathetic. But so. of course, she she changes tactics over time. As, yes, as, uh, certain, <laughs> as he grows, certain into chemicals it. start to flow in his mm-hmm. body. That's right. Yeah, um, she drops uh, some clues. So all of the clues, a, a lot of the clues that we need to unlock Demerzel are here. And if you've read all of this stuff, all of Asimov, then you know. Uh, don't go googling if you don't want to be spoiled. But just to say that her age and that this is not her first name. These are all big pointers to, you know, who Demerzel is as much as what she is. Also, David Goyer has been very forthcoming about what her true name is mm-hmm. on other interviews, not on ours, but okay. um, I've we've, we've heard him say her true name. So I don't think he's even treating that as a spoiler. I don't. Okay. I think he's basically like, OK, that's a connection to a different story. But it's not necessarily a spoiler for this story. Right. And and Demerzel even says in, in, in the long ago, but not far away, I was a leader of soldiers. Right. So there's another big chunk of clue right there. So. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, this Emperor Aberanus, uh, who is of the Campbell dynasty, which is five dynasties before the Atun dynasty, according to the Asimov wiki. It sounds like this guy was a nasty piece and was torturing her because he was saying that, you know, he liked to collect her tears. Uh, and so she made tears for him. Terrible. Yeah. The, uh, the There's cruelty in the Cleonic blood. Very much. Um, and then lastly, I thought there was an interesting Dune comp with uh, Butlerian Jihad. So in the Dune universe, there is an uprising against thinking machines, uh, not dissimilar in Empire. And obviously, uh, Asimov wrote the original Foundation um, in the 40s and 50s, and then Herbert wrote in the 60s, and then Asimov wrote more later in the 80s. So these sort of 
things weave around each other. But this idea that why was she preserved? Well, she's a key to making more of her kind, which seems to me to be a nice, big, open, you know, invitation for future things. Uh-huh. So much like Harry Seldon, maybe. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Are right. you out on the Seldon as a robot uh, oh, scale? Oh, God. I mean, it's the obvious, it's an obvious uh, answer. Um, unless he's a clone that was made to be able to breathe water and he was just playing possum. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I really, I Maybe. really don't know. That seems more outlandish than him being a robot. Exactly. All right. So um, the second half here, the story continues. And now as an adult, Cleon returns to free Demerzel, even though he still doesn't fully trust her. Many years later, he comes again and frees her, but chains her to the throne by reprogramming her to serve only Empire. Boy, um, that is pretty rough. <laughs> yes. I like how they frame the whole, well, in that moment, she could have snapped his neck, right? Like Wasn't she was perfectly free at that moment. Oh, man. But she hesitated because she thought he was kind. Mm-hmm. But alas, even a kind Cleon is no friend to others. Uh, there was a line she he used when he asked her, if she would love him she said yes oh, right. <laughs> then she says he, he he goes i wish i would have asked if uh but before i made it compulsory yes which yep. is just so you know that you're doing something very wrong here you're just doing it anyway but he's so vested in this idea and then he's he's relieved that she's gonna love him but then yeah there's a little bit of sadness a little bit of 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 uh, not quite reaching the heights emotional heights that he had hoped because mm-hmm. he knows that yeah she has to say something that isn't honest and open so why is she the key to making more of her kind compared to other robots is my question mm-hmm. you know d- there there are no other robots there should be no other robots but I, I think that what she was trying to say was it was OK to kill all the other ones because they were just copies. But I'm the template. Oh, no, I don't think she was. I don't think she was saying that. I, I think she was saying because he asked her, well, like, well, why are you still why? Why did Abaranus keep you around? And she says, well, I'm unique. I'm, you know, I'm the last one. I'm the key to making more of me if they want. Well, well to that's not what she said, though. You just added something there. She, yeah. She just what said, if- I'm I'm rare. I'm yeah. uh, I'm something rare and uh, I'm the key to making more of my kind. But that that's not she didn't pair that with I'm the last of my kind. No, you're right. So I think she that it is very yes. possible that she is oh, robot. Are you plus. leading me? OK, she is perhaps something that is is an actual key to making more of her kind that is beyond just being one of them to look at. Mm hmm. Interesting. Okay. Because I think right. I think if Foundation could have made something like this, they would have, right? Right. They would have at least tried. But mm. there's some kind of lost technology thing happening here. Okay. All right. I'll I'll, I'll buy that. I'll I'll go along with that. Um. So, uh, notes. Lee Pace's depiction of the adult Cleon in this was amazing. His face yes. and demeanor. Yeah. Oh my lord, Lee Pace is just he is he is stepped above and beyond anything that I could have expected from somebody in this role. 
But even Dusk, I mean, the way that yes, first yes. of all, they did the hair all the same as the, mm-hmm. as the kid Cleon, the slicked back kind of kind of look. Uh, really great at at visually telling me this is the same Cleon, and uh, this personality is so vulnerable and so unsure, which is very different from the Cleons that we see in the modern era. Right, and right. it is really fascinating that this whole situation with Demerzel arose out of one emperor's insecurities. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a huge thing, I think, that his infatuation, you know, and that his lack of desire to sire heirs with another human being, but that he was just so taken with her. It's why I mean, she did kind of groom him, didn't she? A little bit. Yeah, she was grooming him for freedom, not necessarily for being chained to the throne. <laughs> well, I, uh, sure. But I'm saying, uh, you know, he's a teenager and he says, hey, so, uh, you know, here's a dress and or actually, no, he was he was Lee Pace at that point. Right. When yeah, he, he was. The dress. Yeah, he was the okay, full, so he's Lee Pace. And she's like, OK, I'm going to toss this dress to the floor before I put it on now. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to make sure that you see my. uh Every everything, and you notice it as I drag this dress up. Like she was very much, you know. It even said her her stories got more explicit, right? So mm-hmm. she was really playing on this whole "I'm gonna groom this person into someone who desires me, and therefore will make mistakes and let me go." Right, right, yeah. I I, I totally think that Demerzel is as a student of human history for being around for eighteen thousand years. She is mostly good at manipulation. But I think that's an interesting thing is that with human beings, how well can she predict the actions of a specific individual? I mean, we even get it at the la- in one of the last scenes here where she said like, oh, sorry, I was trying to groom you out of your bad ways, but it didn't work. That's my bad. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that I think that she knows that these Cleons think with their Hober Mallows, you know, they, they are <laughs> they are uh, first and foremost men Sensuous who, who do have desires. Yeah. Yeah. Notice the, the the story that she told about the concubine who for, would forget the previous night so that the emperor would wake up every morning with a, a willing virgin or, you know, or, or I forget the exact line. I thought that was really interesting as maybe a seed kernel idea for the Gossamer court. Not as okay. in as much as, oh, every day you get your memories wiped, but that there's this idea where there's this um, playground where, you know, um, you, you do forget some of it. And so you can kind of live in this fantasy where every day is a first day kind of uh, experience. Right. Yeah. So, we still don't know by the end of this episode how much is deleted from the modern Cleons yeah. and what and why. Right, right. And and I would think that it's safe to speculate that the Cleon that appears and narrates the story, well, or yeah, is narrating the story. I think he's the one who's, you know, texting Demerzel at the end there when she says that I got I gotta go back. He, I would guess, would be signaling her to saying like, okay, Dusk, you know, Dusk has gone off the rails here, you know, and he's got somebody else down here. So we got to do some stuff. So I think there's yeah. a, 
there's a there's a wizard behind the thro- the the curtains here. Definitely, and and again, yeah. What is that, Daddy Cleon, that showed up? Right, exactly. Some kind of hologram for sure, but who is who he- is controlling it? Like, who is behind that? Right. Does it have any kind of sentience on its own, or is it just a bunch of programmed memories? Which is interesting because, without spoil, I don't think this is a spoiler for the books necessarily, but. In the books, the vault and Harry are just recordings, and they don't have uh-huh. sentience. Where Although this, this can talk back to you, right? Yes. So it's a that, it's it's halfway in between, I think. Halfway this, in between there, yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. This is such a good episode. This has so much like depth for discussion. I know. Um, I love that that uh, Cleon presents her with the solar system box. And okay. that's a, you know, a, yeah. a thing that we keep seeing, you know, the, with the little tools, her little toolbox to repair herself. Right. And that he searched that out through the galaxy. And here is a, and she says that came from earth. Mm-hmm. Right. So another clue to her identity and, and, and what's going on there. And, and just, uh, uh, again, wrapping more mystery around, you know, where did our current empire come, come from? It, it came from a planet called earth a long, long time ago. Yeah. Now I want to read the robot series. Yeah. A lot of them are, start off as short stories and then, then he much rapped. like foundation, right? Yeah. Uh, where foundation then got honed more into full books. I think the robots uh, start more off and stay more as short stories. And then it's not until later. I think it's robot and foundation um, is when he unifies the world. And that's, a, that's okay. a full story. So that's cool. But if you go to that website that I linked that we talked about last time, um, there is a big index of all the stories and he, and, uh, the guy who wrote that website also grouped up the stories, So, you know, not only like when they were written in sort of an order in which they were written, but in which, um, dynastic like order they fall timeline. Into. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Um, one last little note I thought was interesting is to go back on this question of, um, when day proposes to her and she tells him, you know, yeah, I'll, uh, you know, I, I'll, yes, I, I will. Is she, and we talked about this a little bit, but she said earlier she would fake tears for emperor Abaranus. Mm-hmm. So, um, he's got to know that she's lying to some degree, right? Cause she can fake emotion. Absolutely. I mean, she's no ice to die for sure. Right. <laughs> Crossing the streams. We love it. Yeah. And Laura Burns acting here when she, you know, reacts in horror when he puts in the little new programming chip. Yeah. It's, and it's the just... darkness when she says, this is not freedom. Right. Oh, man. I was just, I was scared of her in that moment. If she could have, she would have snapped his neck right there. Right, which all goes back to when she did snap a neck of a uh, of a dawn. Yeah, right. And so she's like, "I've been waiting to do this a while now. This is, uh, <laughs> right. should have done this back in the day." That's I ain't hesitating good, again. That's a really good way to think of it too, because when she did it in that moment, how much of it was like, "Yeah, you little son of a bitch, I should have done this back then." Well, especially because she's never been able to harm one of them. Mm-hmm. And oh, it yeah. must have been yeah. really cathartic for her to finally be able to literally kill her captor, a copy of her captor. 
and then she rips her face off later, right in the horror and terror of of what right. she's done. And that's that whole scene. That what, scene was that in horror and terror of what she did, though. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is, is that there's all of this mixture. That scene takes on a whole new thing because, you know, it's against her programming. But at the same time, is it, you know, some of it is the feelings of um, her emotions of being trapped and chained to the throne and still Mm -hmm. being trapped or, you know, and is there catharsis in in having killed him? So, yeah, like it, it opens up a whole bunch of interesting avenues to consider. Yeah. And and I think that it can be multiple things, right? People are exactly, complicated. Exactly. She can be like, okay, I liked this particular mm-hmm. Don because he was kind to me. And yet it is incredible to finally be a little bit more free from my captor. Yeah. And the question still remains, is she able to, you know, harm these current Cleons that are not totally genetically the Cleon the first. So I think that's an interesting question is, 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 uh, of, you know, if she was able to harm that one Dawn, is she able, and she grabbed his throat at one moment. So she was able to kind of push through her programming. So that's an interesting question is at, what's mm-hmm. the variance that she's allowed to be able to <laughs> kill a, right. kill a Cleon. So I'm going to right. add that to the new open to the open questions is Har- is that a Harper the... Lee book to kill a Cleon? <laughs> uh, good one. I, it's I by Hober Lee. Okay, I'm done now. I'm done <laughs> all now. Right. All right, you're here all week. I sure am because we have too many shows. All right, so uh, well, let's carry on to the the next scene. In the modern day, Dusk and Rue confront Cleon the First, who imprisons them when they challenge Cleon's plan. All right, so. We've talked a lot, I think, about this, so we could probably bypass this mostly. I just love this line, though. Stories end gracefully. Everything else ends in shock and horror, falsely certain of tomorrow. Oh, the writing in the show is mm-hmm. excellent. I, and I think in our interview with Goyer, he even said he likes to staff his writer's rooms with people from various backgrounds, playwrights, short story writers, um, you know, people who write dramas and comedies. And he rarely, you know, he might have, he says like one other science fiction, you know, geek in the room. But when you read a line like this, um, that really shows the strength of having a deep writer's room, a writing's room with experience, a writer's room that has multiple points of view uh, as lived experience in life. So mm, good job, writers room. Absolutely. All right. Um, on Ignis, Tellum's ceremony to transfer her consciousness into Gail's body is interrupted by Salvor, who's able to use the encephalic sensors to disrupt the investiture. Well, that was a tongue twister of a description. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, this was a cool scene, though. This was a great battle. This, this mm-hmm. was uh, you can see the shock on uh, uh, Tellum's face as she realizes that she's been foiled a bit. Yes. Uh, yeah, when the little disc, when the Frisbee goes flying over her, she's like, whoa. Yeah. Was Ultimate Frisbee big on Terminus back <laughs> in Salvador's day? I, I don't know. Well, you know, it, it maybe, you know, you got to add some holographic shifting into maybe your targets are moving around a little bit. Um, yeah. Could you have yeah. smart discs? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but she's little she's eye doing sensors a great job that give you windage. 
She's yeah. definitely the MVP of this episode. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I am Pa'a, goddess of light, wisdom of flying creatures, and the second chamber of eternity. <laughs> I don't know where yeah, they got uh, those. I, I think we learned that she does believe she is a goddess at this yes. point. Like, she really does believe that she is something beyond a human. Mm-hmm. And you know what? With her power, she kind of is, right? Because, But uh, I think maybe not a goddess, but more of a demon <laughs> based on the way she treats people. Yeah, right. Um, and she's, yes, she's supernatural to a gr- degree in being able to do that. Right. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Right. It's not um, good. It's not good for children to worship them. Right. <laughs> do not Don't worship do children. It's not you can good worship me though. It's cool to worship me. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And, and she, she told us right away what it does yes. to children and, yes. uh, she proved it for us. Okay. So that's really good. Right. When a bad guy tells you who they are, believe them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just believe them. Oh, it took me a long time to get over that. Yeah. She got over it by accepting it. Right. Exactly. By really embracing it. And, and I love a, a, a bad guy who has seemingly good intentions. I'm just trying to protect my people. Right. You know, I'm just trying mm-hmm. to make sure that we don't get persecuted anymore. That's understandable. Yeah. I mean, I think she's full of shit with that, but I, I think really her goal is just immortality for herself. Immortality. And she uses her cult to make that happen. And she says, I'm afraid of death. And what mm-hmm. better way to uh, avoid that fear than to inhabit, continually inhabit the bodies of other people? Right. She continually deceives without lying or without outright lying. It's, it's right. she, she would make a good eye to die, right? Because <laughs> she that's exactly what they do is they can't tell an untrue word, but they can absolutely lie to you in like different ways. Mm-hmm. They can nice. they can withhold certain pieces of information to make you think something. And that's right. exactly what Telem's done with everybody here. So I looked up her name, Pa'a. Um, you know, I just did some Googles on it. And in Samoan, it means crab. But I believe in Hawaiian, it means solid, tight, determined, stuck, hard, engaged, steadfast, whole. So I don't know if any of those have relevance into this. Um, if somebody knows uh, more, then uh, I'd love to hear some comment. But yeah, I was trying to think of how they came up with her name because it's such a, it just it's so fitting for her character. I'm in the on the uh, crab queen theory. That's okay, my that's my favorite. Okay, I think that's probably right. Sounds good. <laughs> I love the use of ceremony here as well. Like, do they really need to, uh, I, you know, I hold your pain, your pain, I, I give you my pain. Do they need to do all of that stuff? I mean, I get it that they need to use the plates maybe to align mm-hmm. the the frequencies, but, and it made me think too, with the Cleons, when they go to talk to Cleon the first, when uh, Dusk and, and Dawn go to talk to him, they've got to go through this whole ritual where they put their hands on it and they say the magic words and, and do this stuff. And I just like this idea that even though we're, you know, in this sh- story, 18,000 years old plus as a species, ritual is still an important part of human psychology and, and human society. You know, we've got to say the words and follow the forms and, and, um, and, and move through these steps to uh, to achieve, you know, to, to reach some result where the Cleons, they could have just gone down and pressed a button. Hey, Cleon, you know, we want to talk to you or, you know, with tell them they could have just said, you know, played the notes and then that was right. it. So interesting. 
Yeah, the um on the ceremony piece, mm-hmm. I think that what stuck out to me most was how gradually they had Gail reflect what was happening to tell him. Because if you notice when the disc flies, yeah, then you have both Telem and Gail in unison look at it and shout about it. Mm-hmm. And as you go through that ceremony, they are more and more in unison. Right. And mm-hmm. it, it does feel like there's something genuinely happening here where Gail is becoming Telem or Telem yeah. is, is invading Gail. I really like when Salver is like, Gail, are you okay? Are you okay? All right, I don't have time for this. <laughs> Bam! Slap in the face. And Gail's like, yeah, all right. All right, I'm, I'm up. Good. I'm up. Relax. We're not going to miss the bus. <laughs> it was. It was a good shocking moment. Real, real, yeah. yeah, shock to the conscious. That was good. All right, David, let's take a quick break before we head back with Bell Rios. we're back. David, can you lead us back into the episode? Sure. On the flagship Destiny, General Rios questions Constant and Hober in a holding cell. They are interrupted when Empire boards the ship and Bell is called away. Very charming scene. Uh, Bell Rios is very slappable at the beginning of this. He's very like, I am the peer of empire. <laughs> and, yes. uh, yeah. Peer of empire. I'm a peer of empire. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. means somebody who's been t- granted a title by the monarch, but who doesn't necessarily hold land or have any feudal responsibilities. Interesting. So you've, you've got status, but without, with different sets of responsibilities as to, opposed to being a, you know, like if you were a landholder, then you've got a tithe and you got a, you know, uh, Levy levies. I don't know. What do you do to levies? Raise levies, levy an army. You got to provide men and, and material to your king in, in times of war and things like that. So. Yeah. Interesting. I did yeah. not know that. And uh, I'm glad that they're bringing real titles into this. Yeah. Um, the whole interaction between Hober and uh, Rios was really interesting. I liked how uh, he he toyed with him with the castle thing. He gave it a shot. He gave it his his college try. He gave it his very best to trick Rios. And Rios was like, yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> his, his funny line, oh, gets you out of the cell, huh? Well, even better than that, gets you in the cell. <laughs> Do you think that's a, uh, a Chekhovian castling device there? Do you think we're going to see that show up later? Yeah, probably right. <laughs> like it's uh, it's probably got to be involved. I mean, now Rios has it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. Sp- yeah, that's a good question. Uh, where is it? it? Yeah, unless we didn't see. Is he going to give Hober. that back to him? I doubt it. Well, we didn't see, or nor did we see Hober bump into uh, Bell accidentally. Ooh, sorry, right, about that, right, General, right. You know, so. But what very do you cool. going on with his bumpies? His oh yeah his, his, so his rash yeah. <laughs> those are yeah those were those things that the uh, spacers put in him. He needs and... to go see. She's a dermatologist. You know? <laughs> have you been? Did you make that up on the spot, or did, have you been? Saying I, that? I'm on the spot. All right, it, it's, it's always improvised. You are on fire. Um, but yeah, I mean to see Hober mature a little bit, you know, and and uh, 
you know, say that, yeah, you know, love, love was his motivation here. I love that Bell is able to kind of figure that out. He's like, did you do this for love? Like, damn, dude. I know. I know. I, uh, I do like him. I don't think he's sold by the cult, but he, uh, by the cult of Harry Seldon, mm-hmm. but he is certainly no. in on it now. He's yes. in, in with the, uh, at least the people, if not the cause. And what I think this is a really interesting scene as well, because both Bell and Hober would probably agree that if Empire falls, well, you know, I mean, Empire's bad, but the fact that sort of order and protection when it's not being used for exploitation, but, you know, the, just the idea that there is some law within the universe that if if that goes away, then the darkness is going to descend and that is going to be lawlessness and, and real, you know, t- you know, terrible exploitation as, as Bell reminds us that he's seen before. And I don't think Hober would want that either. So we've actually got two people in the same room here who are playing uh, my dead man is bigger than yours game. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think Bell Rios is actually why I think Balon in Ahsoka has the motivations he does. He, oh, it, oh, wow. I think You're that really kind of similar. Uh-huh. I think they're kind of similar in their motivations where it's more of a, I think that we need to have some kind of order, not necessarily that I would choose this if I, mm-hmm. if I had a choice. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know that I'm, I'm with you on, on uh, Balon's uh, motivations the same, but I'm, I'm definitely open to the argument. So, whereas I think both Bell and Homer, Hober would want to see, uh, would not want to see the chaos that will ensue post empire, even though empire cannot exist as it is in its current form, right? It's some, it's something's got to change. Right. Uh, on the bridge, Day is briefed on the current situation. We learn that the Foundation Church has a significant heat signature and that the Invictus is also in orbit. Bell argues for a bloodless victory and Day agrees with him. Bell confers with Demerzel, who reminds him that she chose him for a reason. Bell is really trying to get Day to do the right thing here, right? He's mm-hmm. really like, okay, I have delivered this to you in a nice package. Do not screw this up. Do not go dropping bombs for no reason. Please don't be the cruel person you are for a minute and just accept an easy win. And then ultimately that doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work. work out. <laughs> I was like, oh, it, okay. I, I, You know what? We'll talk about the other scene later. But I was shocked. Right. I was genuinely just shocked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just goes to point that um, – well, I, I don't want to call up this line too early, but what Demerzel says, like, you know, you're confusing your random motion for conscious or, uh, you know, I forget what the I've got the line later on. But you you think you're smart and sentient and you're you're making, you know, complex movements. But n- no, you're you're really just a simple thing here. Right. And and we see that when he's spurned and when he's been embarrassed uh, he reacts like a child, you know, yeah, emotionally absolutely. person. So, yeah, it's uh, he's a scary guy. He's a scary guy because he is so emotionally unstable. What did Demerzel mean? Do you think? Do you have a theory on this? Why she says I chose you for a reason? Um, I think that she was saying I chose you to temper Empire because I knew that in the past you have stood up to him a bit. Mm-hmm. 
even when it meant getting in trouble. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think she knows that this day is kind of a monster. And that he's that Bell is at heart a good man who does care at, uh, about the larger picture. Right. Um, if not the you know individual things. But yeah, that he's going to try. And she but she kind of backhands him with it saying, like, do your job. Right. Yeah. I picked you for a reason. Stick, you know. But at well, the same I, time, it's I kind think, of a harsh statement. I think he is kind of, he has been kind of falling in line with the mm-hmm. imperial regime. So uh, he does have the opportunity. Bell does have the opportunity to do the right thing later. Mm-hmm. And I think he almost does. Mm-hmm. But then Glewin's on the ground and he's the one who the whole time has been like, no, you got to challenge Empire. And I think maybe almost in his memory, he's going to do the right thing. Right. Mm-hmm. He, I think he's like, I have nothing else to lose. I may as well keep my soul intact and not destroy a full planet of people. Mm-hmm. But in the end, Glewin even says, well, I, you got to do what you got to do. Somebody's going to do this. So it may as well be you who pushes the button so that you you can stay and check him where you can. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, uh, uh, he, he's got to make. Yeah. Does it, um, if, if he refused, they would have had him executed on the spot. Another officer would have given the same order. This, the, the, right. It was inevitable that the Invictus was going to be thrown to the planet surface. I agree, and and I'm wondering why this day even waited after the initial hesitation of Bell, because I mm, I honestly mm. don't think it's in his character. I think that that it was good for the drama, but it was not really part of his character. I think he would have been like, "All right, Demerzel, snap his neck," you know. Yeah. Just like, well, Demerzel's gone by that point. She's oh right, 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 right. She, But yeah, you know what he, I, mean? I think um, you exactly. Soldier, he shoot him. Yeah, he would have given his little two finger twist, and Bell would would have been down, right. and and yeah. Okay, I agree. who's second in command? <laughs> yeah. Fire. Yep. Right. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that's, th- that is, okay. So we're just talking about it because <laughs> it was, yep, this, this yep. was part of another scene, but um, the whole thing with the Bhagavad Gita and the, you know, the story from the, Mah- that, that story from the Mahabharata where the prince is being counseled by his charioteer, who's really a God and saying, look, there's nothing you can do in this moment except to do what there is to do, which is to start this war. All the diplomacy, all of the negotiations, you know, there, you know, all of the the one on one, everything that has been done to avoid the war has been done, and there's nothing left now except to go to war. So do it, do it justly, do it swiftly, and and do it as as quickly and cleanly as you possibly can. And I and without debating the morality of the war, the the point is of of making that decision in that moment. The yeah, it, Trantor was dead. It was it was going to happen. Terminus. So Trantor sorry, Terminus. Yeah, fine. yeah, Terminus. Apologies. <laughs> um, and so Bell has an opportunity to, like, as you said, yeah, stick around and make sure that the damage is contained. That's who right. you are. That is your responsibility to the universe right. is to make sure that we don't fall into total and utter, utter chaos. And then later he could just say, I was only following orders, which is an excuse that has always worked. (laughs) It's true. All right. Uh, Empire lands on Terminus to accept their terms and inspect the church, which turns out to be a factory where Terminus makes all of its scientific goodies, uh, not where they are making an encyclopedia. Day demands a show and Polly obliges by turning iron into gold. When Day discovers that Foundation are making and giving away personal auras, he switches policies from war to a police action. I was kind of surprised to hear there is no encyclopedia when 
There was 38 years <laughs> before right. Selden showed up for the first time and said, hey, okay, that's not the real mission. What do they just like delete it? And they went, ah, well, I guess those 38 years, don't worry about it. Let's just, let's just throw that in the recycling bin of our desktop and, and hit uh, delete. Breaks my heart. All of those committee meetings and all of those trays of donuts that all <laughs> just went to waste for the endless conversations, you know, but it, right. it all amounted to nothing. Right. Um, I, I don't buy that there's no encyclopedia. I think that might just be posturing. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But it did seem to enrage Day, so it was perfect. I don't perfect. I don't know. Uh it it uh maybe maybe it was genuine because I wouldn't have wanted to tell him that in that moment. The a couple of lines, yeah, there's so many lines in this scene that were are incredible. Uh, then surely you won't refuse a pilgrim, you know, Oh, it's a church. Well, the, you know, I, I'm a pilgrim, you know, you know, you can't refuse me. No, we can't. And then when he yell, where well, he gets Polly to come up and he says, show us what the lesser saints of Selden have up those big sleeves. Yes. Ah, so good. And Lee Pace in this, when he yells at Polly, it really reminded me, when he yelled at the ma master statistician uh, Tavole in season one, right? Where the guy has a heart attack and, uh -huh. and drops down. Right? But Polly's <laughs> hardier than that, I guess. Yes. So uh, yeah. what do you think of the church of scientism? <laughs> it's silly. It's a silly religion. It's mm -hmm. not. It's yeah. But I mean, I see why they do it. I think that Polly even knows it's nonsense. And I kind of don't know why he's willing to put on a show here. Maybe he thinks, OK, maybe I will placate him and he won't hurt my friends. But I don't know. I don't think that Terminus was walking away alive after after he got there, after day got there even. Right. I mean, I guess Polly's choice in this moment is. You know, if I refuse, then it's just going to get even uglier, you know, uh -huh. whereas, yeah, can I can I curb the edges here? Can I, you know, lessen the blow by, by yeah. doing the, the show and tell? So, yeah, I mean, everything, everything that's happening. I don't know if there was a way to make Lee Pace go away in peace. I keep no. calling him Lee Pace. <laughs> we should just call yeah. him Day. I don't think there's a way to make Day go away in peace, but uh, certainly none of these interactions helped. No, you know, and then and they only escalate. And I think that's the a thing with a bully, right? You're never going to win against the bully by placating them and answering their demands. Right. right. So um, and, and I just love this whole question, too, of, of, again, faith versus belief, but faith versus belief in science. But then to make kind it of, religion, kind of. right? I've got faith that an airplane can fly. I think I forget what did Marilyn say, like. Yeah, I, I have faith that the Bernoulli effect is a real thing, right? Okay. Um, I would take issue with calling exactly what Polly does as a science-based thing <laughs> because they are literally tricking people with illusion. Sure, sure. Well, and I think this is Asimov's commentary to some degree on, you know, how do you get people to see the truth or to experience the truth? You know, when people are avoiding and don't want it or they want to believe something else, um, how do you shake them out of that? Or how do you how do you get them to pay attention to something that they may be actively not wanting to pay attention to? Right. And so they, they resort to these cheap tricks. I mean, I think we can say, well, here's the data and the evidence. What do you think? Well, we're seeing 
how data and evidence and quote unquote doing your own research is not well, working out yeah. so well these days. <laughs> the, the word research has lost all meaning. It's not Completely. it's not Googling. Googling is not research. <laughs> not research. It is it is gathering information, but it is right. not research. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This there's a little moment here too of intimacy between Cermak and Polly. You know, they've got they've got years of of enmity between them. And and Cermak has shown his disdain for Polly, but yet when Polly's life is on the line, he's like, I've got iron, I've got it, you know, like you can do this. And he really, I think, mm-hmm. gives Polly that emotional oomph to, you know, carry on with the show and and pray and hopefully they'll 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 get through this alive and unscathed. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was completely uh not a selfish thing of I want him to save all of us, not just himself. Yeah, true. F- fair enough. I-, I I appreciated it on their on that intimacy level, though, for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting too. The this idea that it's all just molecules, right? This machine just mm-hmm. you know add enough energy and you can change the molecules. Which, when Hober was uh, <laughs> eating Harry's body in the vault. That's what Harry said. It's all just molecules, right? You know, it can just manipulate yeah, them. At and Harry was delicious, level. apparently. He was. So um, another interesting note that everything in the factory, to me, the, it looked very neuron-like. You know, okay. there's big white strands and they're, tr- they're tumbling big rollers with white stuff in it. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard metal containers and objects and stuff, but then there's a whole bunch of organic looking stuff. And if remember early on um, when Glaywin is on the bridge of, of the flagship, he throws out a supposition that, well, how is foundation able to jump without oh, right. space? Yeah. yeah. And he talks about growing brain tissue as navigational aids. And I, I think, you know, we've got, confirmation then here during the the space battle scene where he says oh yeah you know shoot this part out because that's a navigational brain thing why do you need brain to process this and not a computer because i i didn't they also suggest like oh you could use a robot to do this but that's Mm -hmm. banned yeah i think so i think so are we Um, this bad at making robots in this world like i just it so, seems like they can do all these miraculous things, but apparently without Demerzel, you can't make a robot. So that's an interesting question on on how many neurons you can pack into a space and how much processing can it do versus the amount of energy is required to process that problem, quote unquote, you know, or that, that solution it's trying to, to fix. And I think the human brain and neurons are way more efficient than any silicon circuit board that we can produce. I don't know how to, how to, well, in, in our real things. world though. Right. Because Demerzel clearly is capable of much more than a normal human in that world. And she can stay awake in space. We know that. Right. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is kind of, um, this is not going to be real science. This is going to be com- comparable to how many gigawatts are in a flux capacitor, right? Like this is just, <laughs> we're going to have to go with this. Yeah. Interesting. It's an interesting thing. Um, yeah. I, I want to see, I, I hope they, they go into it more. And again, this goes back to that Dune comp that I had with the Butlerian Jihad, which is a big thing that happens in the Dune world where they 
wipe out all the thinking machines. So we wipe out the robots here, but do we have computers? But now Foundation has organic computers to solve the problem that spacers were created for. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just all, all very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. All right, John. So for the last uh, parts of the episode here, there's a lot of intercut editing. And so to yep. make it a little bit easier, I've compressed the space battle the um the uh, what's going on on ignis and then the conversation on terminus between empire and selden then and then flowing out into the very end of the episode there but it just see it was a little bit easier to compress the scenes uh since we jumped back and forth so much yep yep so space battle uh in orbit the invictus battles empire's fleet and glaywin is able to take out the invictus but his ship is damaged and he crash lands on Terminus. I love the cockpit shots in this. Uh, you know, it's I, I see in your notes you have the same thought I did, which was this was just Star Wars, just right. in, in the Foundation <laughs> universe. <laughs> it was. Yeah. You know, take out the big bad with the little fighters, little snub fighters. And you even have Glaywin being like, woo! You know, it's like it's right. like it's very like Poe Dameron going through to yeah. try to take out. Yeah. Yeah. So my one nitpick for this episode has to do with this space battle thing. And I thought about it a little bit. I, I think I figured out what it was. You know, when when somebody puts on a, a white lab coat and they put a stethoscope around their shoulders, you think doctor, right? The thing that didn't happen for me here, this and this is just me, is when Glaywin gets into his ship, he's not wearing a pilot suit nor strapped in like I would expect a pilot to be. And it just... He had to go, though. He had to run in there. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have time to put on a suit. He but, doesn't have a form-fitted suit like other characters in shows recovering. No, but that's what I'm saying is, is that that took me out of it. It it it, he, it didn't read pilot to me. It didn't read, uh, I'm a jockey. Star Wars ruin it for you. No. Strapped in, helmet. That's what I'm saying is, is, is that as just as I expect a doctor to wear a white lab coat... I expect a pilot to wear pilot garb. And when he wasn't wearing it, it just, it just, you know, it threw me off. I'm just saying that's me. I don't know if everybody else. You I, I did not feel that way. Right. I thought, right. I mean, that's not this show, right? Like this is a different universe where space travel Agreed. is, is very different. I think it's right. treated differently. It's, it's, um, I, I don't think it's that common to do this kind of space battle. And therefore maybe you don't have a, a fitted suit for everybody. I, I went with the the idea that they don't need it, right? It does. It's not yeah, needed in yeah. there with their physics and and all of that kind of stuff. That yeah. said, I, it still bothered me a little bit. You ain't going into hyperspace here. Hyperspace. No. Um, it's funny. I've been playing Starfield recently, which is oh a new yeah, game how that is came it? Out. It's great, but they have like a whole another way to fold space called a grav drive, and I'm like, man, we have too many versions of hyperspace going on. <laughs> we gotta be able to get from one end of the galaxy to the other. So yeah. Yeah. Everybody's just yeah. dealing with the same problem in, in, in mostly the same ways, right? Yeah, they're, they're like, and then we learned how to do something with space and we were in the other part of the galaxy. Yeah, it's, right. it's always something silly like that. Wait, hands waved, yeah, magic yep. boxes activated. Yep. Uh, Glaywin's ship is an Imperial switchback. So it's an interesting little thing. And the, it looked like the cockpit stays steady while the wing sort of spins or spins around it, mm-hmm. which was interesting. And his call sign is Pellis One, 
And the best definition that I could find for pelis is meaning an outer skin or covering, or even in ancient Greek, meaning the sole of the foot. So again, don't know how how on the nose these names are. It sounds perfect. It sounds good. Yeah. Um, so how did he survive this crash? Yeah. Yeah. That that well, one is the one thing that took me a little bit out of it because I was like, there's no way he survived that crash to a planet. Hey, if you don't need uh, shoulder straps and a helmet, you know, you, you're going to be good when you go into atmosphere in a busted ship, right? We need a seatbelt <laughs> PSA in here, you know? Yeah. I mean, we had to have it for the drama. Yeah. Yeah. I just wish he had gone down a little differently, like a skate pod cause, or something. Cause, yeah. Because yeah. crashing into an atmosphere with no controls Mm-hmm. It does feel like that would burn up maybe a little bit. Uh, I don't know if all the safety features would have survived. Well, the thing doesn't crash. look very aerodynamic. That's no, for sure. No, so. especially when it has a wing hanging off, right? Yeah, it's all uh, busted. Yeah. All right, back on Ignis. So we're going to, again, just wrap up all of the Ignis storyline here in, in one shot. Back on Ignis, Gale and Survivor reach the beggar, and Salvor gives Gale back the Prime Radiance. Laron shows up and fights with Salvor. Tellem is already on the beggar and her and Gale fight until Tellem tries to use her fear of Salvor's death at the hands of the mule, which then backfires. Salvor beats Laron and saves Gale from the USB knife. And then Tellem's skull is caved in by dun, 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 Harry Selden. Whoa, whoa, what? What, <laughs> what, what, what? What do you think? Are you, Did you buy it? Are you... I think that's for, Harry. Yeah. I, I don't think that's an illusion. Why who would who would be saving them? All right, let's say that one of them who can do the illusion wanted to help. Oh her. no, I'm not saying that it's not not Harry. I'm just saying what do you think about the fact that Harry's not really dead in oh, episode nine? I'm fine with it. I, okay. I, I want more Harry, so as long as they give me a plausible explanation next episode, You're good. I will be good. I do okay. want more Harry and I don't want to say goodbye to him yet. So yeah. Please give me more Jared Harris. I think it's got to be the um, whatever uh, Kale was is what Harry is. And yeah, is it is it robot? Is it clone? Is it something that we haven't yet encountered? I have no idea. Yeah, I, I great questions all around. Uh, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> we're going to have to wait for those to be answered. Right. My one thought is, is if he was a robot, did... He was he playing possum? Yeah. And also or, he was really beaten up, right? And he had red yeah. blood popping out. It was not black, like we mm. were speculating it might be Ooh. earlier. I'm gonna have to go back and, and think, look think at he that. had gashes on his head. Okay. I'll I'll have to go back and, and double check that uh scene at some point. Um but yeah, he was pretty well beat up and, and looking looking like he, he came a long ways, right? He yeah. was dirty and, and sort of uh beat. So this idea of using the mule to break Tellum, to break out of Tellum's grasp, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yes. It, it yeah. not only freaked Tellum out, but it also reminds us that there's a bigger danger out there that we've yet to uh, yet to materialize. Mm-hmm. He's a real threat. He's still around. This wasn't just a plot device for Salver. This is something that is coming. Right. Uh, I'm sure season three has to have him, right? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they feel. Yeah, they might in. they might have to wait longer. Yeah, little drips and drabs that that could be cool if it's paced yeah. out right uh, mm-hmm. and and used right. So, 
Um, pour one out for Rachel House. I, I'm sad to see her go. She was amazing uh, as Tellum, a real monster. She was terrifying. Yes, uh, I absolutely agree. Um, Tellum is uh, terrifying in general throughout the season, but most terrifying in this desperate fight for her life. Yeah. There's something about the desperation that made her fight so hard. Even more. Like animalistically just going for her. Right. Um, And again, the USB knife, right, uh, is in play. And so it's going to be around for a little while yet. So is that single use or do we have multiple, like, can it store different people in the knife? I don't know. Yeah. What's the storage capacity on it? Right. We'll have to ask uh, Mr. Goyer when we talk to him next time. All right. Uh, okay. Big scene here to bring in the episode to a close. Um, and then we'll just carry it through. On Terminus, Empire confronts Selden and they step into Harry's office to debate the nature of the situation. Harry offers to give Empire the Prime Radiant and to teach Demerzel how to use it. Empire orders Bell to crash the Invictus onto the planet's surface. Hober taunts Day. Demerzel is recalled to Trantor. Bell and Glaywin have a last moment as Day orders the Invictus onto the surface. Boy, I was not expecting this scene. The whole run of it, right? It was yeah. wild. Wild. Why why does he give the prime radiant to Demerzel? He so my thought is is that if Harry doesn't know who Demerzel is, he knows what she is, and he knows that she's the real power behind the throne. Because he turns to her at that one moment and says, The future is invented every second. Invent a better one. And so he's appealing to her having, you know, being a robot that's been around a long time. Like if you have any, if there's any humanity in you, quote unquote, humanity in you, then, you know, look, think about our survival as a species and the, the, the whole, uh, the whole of the galaxy, which is an interesting dilemma that Demerzel is in because she's programmed to serve only empire and her previous programming, which was to do no harm to humans basically is been overridden. And, and she's specifically told you can harm other humans. You just can't harm Cleons. Right. So she's in a bind now she's in a ethical dilemma. Like, well, how do I prevent the fall of the empire? Harry's giving me the tools to be able to do it. Here's the prime radiant. Here's the math. But she can't. Her programming won't necessarily allow unless Day allowed her to do it. When do you think that Harry knew that she was a robot? Because I think he does here. Oh, he totally. Yeah. When does he figure it out? And how long has he known? I'm not sure. But that he knows what she is. I am uh, certain. I'm certain that he knows what she is. Do you think it's because she entered his chamber of secrets and he can sense her molecules now? Or do you well, think you know, that? he's seen her he's seen her at the at the you know you know leashed to the chain of, of the throne. Uh, sure. As it were. But but he was not a digital wizard at that point, right? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, he's just I seen don't her know. as an outside observer at that point. Right. The right. most logical thing to guess is what Sarah guessed, which is she's her own clone, huh? Right. 
That's what a lot of people probably think. Right. Which would make so, sense. I think that's I, that you buy that, right? Although, why do you only see one version of Demersel instead of three? And, you know, and if you, yeah, you, you keep, you know, it's continuity. It, it helps assure the populace that there's a continuity that, you know, the Cleon has a, uh, you know, a constant uh, person who's doing the mm-hmm. same things. I and mean, that's the whole promise of the Cleonic Empire. So, right. I guess my question is, did you get the vibe that Cleon the first wanted her to work in the shadows at first? Probably, probably, or to be out, to be not center spotlight. That's for sure. Yeah. But I mean, do you think that she later started being more prominent? Because it it seemed like that to me. There is. So here's this scene uh, where Demerzel gets a text from Cleon. (laughs) You up? (laughs) A little tweet. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She says, as I was trying to stitch up the fraying ends of empire, you grew up with uncertainty in mind and morals. I apologize for what you have become. Um, so what was your question? I forgot. <laughs> Maybe like, did Demerzel over time become more of a public figure? So, yeah, right. Um, so dusk, uh, the previous, the, the current dusk has said, Oh, you know, I went to doing the mural work earlier than everybody else. Uh, you know, in my in my tenure, in my career, I let Demerzel run the empire. So Demerzel was busy in a way that she probably hasn't been in, in past, mm-hmm. you know, with past Cleons. Well, so, I, I meant I'm saying not even not even in just this generation, but it seems like to me that Cleon the first had her sort of as a background advisor. Yeah. Uh, maybe not even anybody knew about her. Then, you know, over time, she started showing up more with the clone Cleons in public, you know, as their yeah, advisor. Yeah. And yeah. they had to learn to sell what she was as sort of a clone over time. Sure. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, and I don't know that that's, that's as interesting of a question for the show to pursue. Yeah. It just is, right? Yeah. At least that's the way I am. I guess I'm relating to it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um. This line, a computer passed from one AI to another. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> and the look on Demerzel's face when they cut to her, when he says this line, it was just priceless. She's like, yeah, fuck you, dude. <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and I thought it was pretty rich for Harry to say that he's not going to have his life's work snuffed out for any man's pride. I mean, come on, dude. Who's got more pride than you do? Yeah, well, I think, I don't know. I think Cleon the First gives him a run for his money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's these two guys yeah. arguing, right? And and one's a digital ghost and one is a, a seat warmer, right? right? And they're they're arguing over the fate of the, of the, um, of the universe. Yeah, I mean, so. I do think Harry legitimately believes he's doing things for the greater good. It's not, it's, it's true. not his math. It's the world's math. Uh, it's not, it's, you know, it's not even fully his math, right? Kale contributed to it. Yana contributed to it. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's a group effort. Um, you're projecting. Well, I am a hologram. Yeah, that was funny. That (laughs) That was was good. So, uh, so we already talked, I guess, about, um, day giving the order to bell so we can sort of scratch that off and the whole Bhagavad Gita thing. Um, I loved Polly planting his flag, you know, getting that sort of last moment. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, oh yeah, we, I definitely talk a little bit about, well, and that we don't have to really talk too much about it, but just the, the fact that Hober is taunting day and calling him a gelded bastard, uh, yesterday and temporary emperor. I thought all of those were, were lovely lines. <laughs> yesterday was, a, that, that was a winner. So day takes the prime radiant when he leaves the vault. Mm-hmm. Salver and Gale have the other one. Right. So now that's where the two prime radiants are. One is with Empire and one is with uh, Salver and Gale. Yeah, they're going to they're going to practice castling with Helber. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Mhm. Uh and the look on Day's face as Trantor is consumed by a black hole. Terminus. That was Sorry, did I do it again? Yes, yep. Terminus. <laughs> It was just this little boy fascination. Look what I've done, right? You know, I've, I've, look how powerful I am. I may be just a sperm being, you know, uh, being <laughs> with a waving flagellum, mistaking my random motion for complexity, but I still blew up this planet or, you know, in, uh, imploded this planet. Yeah. That was, uh, it's really terrifying to see how insane he's gotten. Yeah. Yeah. Spurned. Uh, uh, disempowered. He has no agency. It's it's. Um, yet he's got all the power. Yeah, but see, he's I got mean, no season power. one. Cleons would not have done that. That is, they they would have been like, no, that's too drastic. That's going to put everybody against us. Right. And now here they're like, yeah, no, we're we're just doing it. And she says, you know, you you grew up with uh with without a good set of morals and and um um you know mental or you know mind upbringing. So. She tried to bed him to fix him uh, and to influence him, but it didn't work. Well, she learned that with the first Cleon. That's a gateway to Cleon, huh? Right. Uh, and it's in- another interesting line just occurs to me is that Rue says she's got all the power, but no power. And it's the same for all of the Cleons, right? They've got all the power, but yet they're not free. They don't yeah. have liberty. They've got, yeah. you know, are they wait, do they have freedom? No, they don't have freedom or liberty, actually. They've got yeah. neither. So. And justice for all. They don't have that either. <laughs> all right. Well, that ends the episode, John. How are you feeling about the, the season? Uh, it's in my top three for the year right now. Okay. I am I am thrilled with the season. I can't believe how good it is. You know, we when we went to go cover this show, I was honestly nervous because mm-hmm. season one had its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself, if it can, if it goes in the down direction, I don't want to do a hate podcast and right. I don't want to be right. negative all night. And how am I going to do that? Uh, you know, how am I going to be honest without without, um, you know, being annoying? <laughs> and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, this season, there has not been a bad episode. Everything has been excellent. God, I Every right. episode seems to be. You know, upping the stakes, surprising mm-hmm. me, delighting me, and I am so impressed with this team. David Esquire, you know, very nice guy for coming to talk with us, but also a very talented guy for what he's done here. I think we finally get to see what they wanted to do mm-hmm. and couldn't do mm-hmm. because of COVID restrictions and all these other production issues and because they had to set up this huge world. I want to pound my virtual fist here a little bit and and sort of shout at the studios to say, you know, look, you know, if you give creators reasonable space to maneuver, 
and you put together smart people in a room who can string sentences together, you can create quality product, (laughs) right? Well, you You even have, uh, I think uh, David Goyer even said on our interview Season one had more influence of the sh- yes. the stakeholders right. who didn't want them to try humor and things like that. And the tone mm-hmm. of season two feels so much more natural because so it seems like they loosened up and let him do what he needed to do more. Right. You know, one of the things that that's bothered me in in some of the more recent Star Wars movies is there is this overt attempt to use humor and to use contextual humor or uh, um, c- current humor. And it's it's the marvelization of Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. And when you go back, if, you know, going back and looking at, you know, say Empire or in Star Wars, where there's some funny moments, they're not funny because they want to tell a joke. Oh, look, the man fell down. Ha ha. It's funny. There was there's humor in life. In everyday life, there are there are absurd and humorous things. And when we as human beings take note of those and we laugh about them. And so, you know, when those natural occurrences come up and there's a space for humor, it's funny. It's even, and it's funny forever. Whereas if you just tell like a, a, a a silly joke, like a a telephone game joke, right. It's like, that doesn't, it's not funny and it's not gonna, it's not gonna wear long. David, promise me you'll never watch the D squad arc of the Clone Wars, which is a bunch of droids on a mission with an incompetent. Uh, leader of, okay. of the military. <laughs> I uh, promise. You would absolutely hate this. In fact, okay. I'm actually really liking the One Piece adaptation. And I was saying, Oh, are you myself, watching that? Yes, I am. Uh, I'm really liking it. Actually, uh, on our Discord, there's a lot of chatter that a lot of people are liking it. Are you going to um, do a one a, a shot with uh, I don't Moses? know because I'm tired, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, okay. but it's um, it is really good. But I'm like, I can't recommend this to David because he's going to hate the humor. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, by the way, as we uh, wrap up this part anyway, I, I'm looking at the picture of Harry in the beggar after um, his encounter with Tellum. The blood on his face is not his. OK, it is Tellum's. Okay. So he's All got right. no other cuts or anything that would indicate what, what his, the nature of his being is. So maybe maybe he is a robot. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. All right. Uh, should we get into some feedback? All right. Feedback. A reminder, you can send feedback to empire at thelorehounds.com or head to our website, thelorehounds.com, and use the contact form or the voicemail feature. First up, we have Joel, who sent an email to us. Uh, hi, chaps. Only got just got into your foundation podcast. Episode seven was the first I heard. Enjoying the breakdowns and theorizing. Hey, thanks, Joel. Yeah, um, Joel's new. So welcome, Joel. Yeah. A couple things jumped out at me in the episode that made me wonder if the writers are deliberately referencing Gene Wolfe's series, The Book of the New Sun. One, the execution device for Constant was called something like the Collar of Typhon. That's right. In part three of Book of the New Sun, Sword of the Lictor, uh, the protagonist meets a two-headed man. One head has been grafted onto an existing person's body. The plan being that slowly the new head will take control of the body's functions, allowing the original head to be removed. The owner of the body is called Piatin. The head that has been grafted on is Typhon, and Typhon is, according to him, an ancient ruler of Earth with a U, mm-hmm. uh, i.e. far, far, far future Earth and many planets besides. So he is using Piatin's body to prolong his life. 
This is a far out prediction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a far out connection. <laughs> I'm not sure I buy it, but it's, okay. it's cool to see a couple of connections here. I mean, maybe, maybe we should ask, uh, we'll add this to, to our David Goyer uh, questions. Well, maybe if he's listening, talk to him again. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if it. he's listening, he can write in and tell us if uh, <laughs> uh, Gene Wolfe's book uh, series, uh, The New Sun, was referenced in the writer's room at all. Fair enough. Yeah. Maybe, maybe somebody was reading it and they were like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do an homage to it. Uh, robots is his second point. Um, in Book of the New Sun, there's not a load of detail, but you learn that humans created robots. Then they came to fear and despise them because they had more humanity than humans themselves, and there was a conflict. This robots, cool. in turn, just wanted acknowledgement of their inner humanity. Uh, of course, this is also an Asimov thing, Bicentennial Man, etc. Yeah, yeah, that's I think that might just be, um, Asimov poking through with the robot wars and all right. that. Although I haven't read it, so David, you would know better than me. Well, and then we get, I mean, it's a common refrain in a lot of robotic stuff, right? I mean, that's what makes the Terminator series so terrible is that, terrifying, I should say, not terrible, terrifying in that the, the robots exhibit no humanity. So there's no sense of mercy or justice or restraint, mm-hmm. right? There's only cold uh, ruthlessness. And we see it with uh, Commander Data in, in Star Trek, where he's uh, always wrestling with humanity and trying to understand, you know, when jokes aren't funny, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and having a cat and painting and all these kinds of things. So I think this right. is a, I think a thing that we're going to be wrestling with for a while, too, especially with the new emergence of the these AI tools that we're getting. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be something that I think is going to be in our zeitgeist for a while. I think so. Not familiar with Foundation and Earth. And think Book of the New Sun was published first, but could almost imagine the show writers suggesting subtly and mischievously implying that the Foundation series is taking place in the same universe. Keep up the good work. Now I found you. I know where to go when season three comes around. Cheers, Joel. Thanks for coming along, Joel. This was a fun comparison with another series. And uh, yeah, yeah, I hope I hope you stick around with us and you enjoy the rest of the season with us because we'll be here for at least another couple of podcasts. Yeah, and we've got uh, Wheel of Time going. We've got Ahsoka going. That's yeah. really starting to hit yeah. its strides. And uh, we'll see what the rest of the year brings. But yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're rolling all the time. I did a quick um, wiki check and it looks like Book of the New Sun is in the 80s and okay. 90s uh and so that would have put it after the initial foundation set of books yeah so we gotta give this one to asimov yeah uh and in a and as as we say you know uh, tolkien is to science fiction as tolkien no asimov is to science fiction as tolkien was to fantasy like that's a statement maybe one could try to okay. make you know, okay. I, we could have some conversations about that, but Asimov is foundational, no pun intended, uh, to to science fiction as we know it today. All right. All right. Let's move on to Brian8063, lore master, who writes in, hi, John and David. One of the interesting subplots in season three, uh, season two, sorry, is Empire's deep concern about traveling to worlds in an easy fashion. We learn that the Foundation's technology is now superior to the older way of using the spacers and hypersleep. This is a big deal because one element of an authoritarian government is the need to control its people's movement. You control this, you control what people are exposed to regarding ideas, economies, religion, etc. In U.S. history, we see this with slaves before the Civil War. 
1850 Fugitive Slave Act made the federal government responsible for finding and returning escaped slaves. In response, some northern states set up their own laws to aid and protect slaves and freed blacks. Slaveholders who dominated the federal government lost faith that the federal government can control the situation and ended up voting for secession. We see again uh, this uh, kind of control behind the Iron Curtain during the Cold War. There was the big issue of refuseniks who were not allowed to emigrate out of the Soviet Union and the Western efforts to get some of them out of the country. These are just a couple of many examples in history as we talked about the size of an empire and the difficulty it is to rule such a vast system. The empire can, can't control all travel, and we do see quite a bit of it in the show. It would be nearly impossible to hold a monopoly on space travel. Let's put a pin in this and see if it goes anywhere. Thanks for your great coverage this season, Brian8063. I love Brian's emails because he always writes in with such deep you yes. know, political historian knowledge. Yep, yep. And this is these are some great comparisons. And I think that's right. You know, it's the same thing that uh, Day doesn't want anybody wearing the aura except an emperor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, this I, I, I think Brian wrote this before seeing the most current episode. And I think Brian probably would have made that comparison if he had this knowledge. But, yeah, it's it's this exclusivity of these higher than you technologies. Right. And in, in control and, and especially control of movement. Right. Uh, I had a friend who was from Russia and this was back in the 80s. After the Berlin uh, Wall, maybe it was the no, no, 90s. Sorry, not 80s. Uh, it was in the, I think, early, mid early 90s. And um, he, I remember at one point he was explaining to us how he had to get some paperwork done. And he actually had to like go back to Russia and go like all the way back to his home place, which was like really far away. It was this incredible journey. And he had to go to you know his home office, and there they had to validate and verify and check his paperwork, and then he had to go back through several steps up the chain. And so they had basically controlled and restricted movement, so that if you want to get from point A to point B, and then to have your identity validated as this person, it was this incredible yeah. process. Uh, all to keep the population from freely moving around, to make it as frictionful as frictional as possible. Um, and yeah, so empire dominating jump technology, that's like one way they can kind of keep control on things. Right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And foundation being able to let people go off like they have a Millennium Falcon, that's not going to go well for them. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. All right. Thanks, Brian, again. And uh, Lorfine Kim M. writes in and sent an email saying. Uh, so oh, I, uh, real quick about uh, Kim M. Uh, she wrote back. Uh, uh, she's written in a couple of times for us and she wanted to let us know that uh, and she wrote this in an email and I was back and forth with her a little bit. She's an artist who's got her MFA in, in painting and drawing. And, and I think she said this in one of her emails that we read was that she's been really inspired by the shows that we've been covering and the conversations, the kinds of conversations that we're having and stuff. And so she's working on her own graphic novel and I don't want to spill too much about it, but it's about aliens living in Zion national park. Um, and, uh, we talked about her and I talked about station 11 a little bit and the comic book graphic novel thing that was 
in that. So just a shout out to Kim uh, to say, you know, keep going, keep working on your ideas and we love your feedback and yeah, keep it coming. A true friend of the pod. So Kim writes in and says, okay, first of all, ah, Becky, there's a lot of A's (laughs) here. That's the best I can do tonight. Ah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm so sad she's gone. Hopefully we can have more frighteningly lovable creatures on the show. Agreed. Missing Becky already. She continues, in regards to Demerzel being the puppet master, in the first episode when she's repairing her head, she tells Day she's centralized and not to worry. A, how did Day not know that already? They have no idea what's going on with her, clearly. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've we've learned by the end of this episode, episode nine, that the Klingons really don't know what's going on. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, B, Kim asks, where is her CPU located? In that weird room Dusk and Rue found? Does she have more than one CPU or bodies? Who has access to it besides her? She is seemingly impervious to death. I'm going to say I think that this is a flux capacitor thing again. I don't (laughs) think that she has the components of a current day PC. I think she probably has wibbly wobbly components that they're never going to tell us because it'll ruin the immersion. I think um, Kim might have missed uh, might have misheard or. Uh, misunderstood that um, Demerzel says in the first episode that her memory is decentralized. Yeah, I was un- I was unsure if this was a typo. So Kim, feel free to right. write in again if it was a typo. But yeah, yeah. she is decentralized. So the her memories her... aren't stored in her head. Right. Uh, yeah, and her processing is is done throughout her body. And I right. think we get some some specific stuff in here in this story in this particular episode nine, which may go a long way to answering a bunch of your questions because this was. Uh, Obviously, in episode eight, uh, feedback. Right. Yeah, you're gonna so get plenty that, of Demerzel this episode. Yeah, so that we've got um, her body is old, but she has tools to repair it, and she doesn't have the ability to transfer herself out of bodies. Right. So, yeah. So she just keeps repairing uh, what she's got. Yeah. And this is not her first body. Right? right. This is the form that which she is presented now, and she's locked into it. Right. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is the lens flare thing David brought to my attention a few podcasts back. Since then, I've noticed it in other shows, including Reservation Dogs and one of my favorite video games ever, Horizon Forbidden West. It's a cool you know that effect one? that I uh, wasn't. I do know that one. I've, I've okay. streamed it before. Oh, cool. uh, it's a cool effect that I wasn't totally aware of, but uh, definitely had an effect on me. Cool. Yeah, the, the lens flare is not a technique I was aware of, and uh, I don't know if you listen to our... Um, David Goyer, Goyer interview interview. before you uh, listened to if, before you wrote this, Kim, but um, we did talk about it with him and he confirmed that this was a real analog camera, camera flare. Effect. This was exactly. not a um, this was not a post effect, which yep. is cool. Uh, she says, that's why I love your podcast. It has changed the way I watch shows and I appreciate it so much more now. It's opened my eyes to lore and how to consume it. I love that. I love it. You know, <laughs> we got the lore. We got Alicia's lore bombs on some podcasts. We got our own lore. And uh, I'm glad to have you aboard, Kim. Welcome. Welcome to the Lorehound way. That's right. Yeah. We uh, that's what we aim to do here, I guess, on the Lorehounds is is uh, <laughs> dig around, root around in the cellars of these shows and yep. pull out all these interesting artifacts and, and yep. strange details. So, well, John, uh, I suppose we should move into uh, wrapping up this particular podcast. Um, we could probably talk about our affiliates really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, properly Howard Movie Review. 
just dropped their last episode, The Wolfman, uh, last Monday. And their next episode on The Wicker Man will drop the this coming Monday relative to when this uh, episode is being published. And if you haven't checked out their uh, podcast yet, definitely. It's hilarious. Uh, Anthony's an academic. Steve's a stand-up comic. They review movies and talk about other pop culture nonsense. And this season of their show, they're doing, um, they're covering all movies that have been remade, you know, remakes of movies. So they did White Men Can't Jump, June Part One, Robocop. They've got The Departed, Cape Fear, The Thing and The Sorcerer still coming up. And it's just a fun, good time. Don't worry about having seen the movie or not, or even liking the movies. Because oftentimes this just serves as a vehicle to deconstruct ideas and, and poke fun at things. During the, the RoboCop episode, they go in on a whole side rant about Cocaine Bear and Cocaine Bear 2. Uh, cocaine Bear Takes New York or whatever the title was. Yep. yep. It was hilarious. So definitely check them out. Um, we also have Alicia and the Wool Shift Dust Does Dune podcast. Unfortunately, Dune has been... The second part of the Villeneuve movie has been kicked to 2024. And so Alicia's readjusting her scheduling, but she's been working on doing a big 360 wraparound on what Dune is, the culture of Dune, documentaries about Dune, video games about Dune, and diving into the whole thing. So go over and check out Woolshift Dust um, and uh, keep your ears out for the next podcast in that series. John we're just doing what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, Lorehounds is all about just three shows these days. Yeah. Just for, for now, we'll, we'll return to some other projects uh, towards the end of the month, but right yeah. now we've got foundation. We live time Ahsoka. It's a lot of content, so there will always be content, uh, you know, towards the end of the work week, we'll have yeah. uh, Ahsoka out and uh, double drop on Friday for a foundation and wheel of time. We did find out we're going to get screeners for the rest of the wheel of time season. So right. um, we don't one have them yet, but we're, we're going to yeah. be getting them one at a time weekly. So yeah, we will still have them coming out on Friday unless something changes. So we're excited to keep doing that. This has been a great run of this season so far. I'm sad to see it go away next episode, but I'm really excited to see what happens in that finale. How are you feeling? Uh, I mean, these are these are not quote unquote easy shows to cover. In as much as we get, we have to do a lot of work. But for Ahsoka, there's a ton of work. For Wheel of Time, there's a, obviously a ton of work. And this one, I mean, it's all rich stuff. But boy, yeah. it is a lot. Save it for second breakfast, David. Okay. We'll talk about it on there. Hey, that's our Patreon exclusive. That's our <laughs> shameless way of saying join us on our Patreon for our exclusive show, Second Breakfast where we talk about these kinds of things. Which you could do by becoming a patron. Uh, God, we did, did have, we script this? Because this is all have, just flowing smooth. <laughs> we have a, a list of lore <laughs> masters here. This is our top tier patrons who get as part of their benefits a an episode shout out every single episode. So here are their names. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Laura G, Dead Eye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, and Aaron T, who just signed up recently. 
Yeah. Thank you all so much. I saw you going back and forth with Aaron earlier. It sounds like Aaron's a very nice person. So, uh, and so I'm sure are all our patrons. Yes, they are. Um, and and the, a lot of them are very active in our Discord server. We have a lot of great conversations. So, uh, loving the Lorehounds family here. Yeah. Check us out over there. Thank you to all our patrons. Sincerely, we do appreciate all of you so very much. You guys help keep things moving over here. So, yeah. All right, John. I am going to go watch uh, Foundation episode 10 right now. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, yeah. David, I'll see you next week. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>